I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway, join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, po- hey, hey, do you... Have you guys ever... Do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima... Oh. Zima... Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Caniculture, an educational podcast about cannabis. I am your canisseur, Nate. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on episode four of our brand new podcast. It's Friday. I hope you guys are hanging in there. Hopefully you've got something good to smoke to take your mind off of all that worries you in this wild world that we are currently living in. So last couple episodes, we've been doing it kind of differently. We've got more of a a theme. We're keeping things very contained with a lot of different segments and stuff. I want to make sure to keep that a part of our show. Today, I'm going to slow it down just a little bit, riff for a few minutes, and just kind of talk, and then we'll get into it, you know. So I want to say, first of all, I want to thank everybody who has been so supportive of the podcast so far. It's been really crazy to have this many people already jumping on board talking about our podcast posting it in different groups and then commenting and stuff like that it's it's really nice to see we're really grateful for everybody that's reaching out we love fan interaction so if you want to be a part of our show send us stuff we've got an instagram at caniculture pod also find us on the facebook at caniculture podcast uh so anyways hopefully you guys are doing fantastic as i said When we first started the show, we did kind of what I initially thought the show was mostly going to be, which was just like talking about this very specific kind of like timeline of uh, cannabis in our in our world. And I think I left it off at like 1919 or 1920 somewhere. But we're going to go back. We're going to talk about 1919 and go from there in the timeline, slowly working through. As we work through, we're going to talk about a few things as they come up. Okay, so. In 1919, the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution bans the manufacture, sale, and transportation of alcohol, positioning and position marijuana as an attractive alternative leading to an increase in the use of the substance. Okay? Uh, so, again, we're doing the THC timeline right now. This is the history of cannabis. Let's keep going. In 1920, Greek dictator Ionis Metaxas cracks down on hashish smoking. Hashish smuggled into Egypt from Greece, Syria, Lebanon, Turkey, and Central Asia. Uh, In 1924, Russian botanists classify another major strain of the plant, Cannabis ruderalis. Okay, and we'll be talking more about what that means in another episode. I like to kind of just, the more scientific-y things are going to be in 
a different spot of this show. So in 1926, Lebanese hashish production is prohibited. 1928, recreational use of cannabis is banned in Britain. 1930, the Yarkand region of Chinese Turkestan exports 91,471 91, kilograms of hashish legally into the northwest frontier and Punjab regions of India. Legal taxed imports of hashish continue into India from Central Asia. In 1933, U.S. Congress repeals the 21st Amendment, ending alcohol prohibition. Uh, four years later, the prohibition of marijuana will be in full effect. 1934 to 1935, Chinese governments moved to end all cannabis cultivation to Yarkand and carcass traffic from Yarkand. Hashish production becomes illegal in Chinese Turkestan. 1936 is a big year. And it's because 1936, the American propaganda film Reefer Madness was made to scare American youth away from using cannabis. Now, I want to spend a few minutes on Reefer Madness. It is a movie that a lot of people have talked to me about. It is a movie that I know nothing about. And I say that genuinely as your host of this show, there is something I don't know about. So what I want to do is I want to find this movie, Reefer Madness, and for the next episode, my goal is to have watched this movie so that I can actually give you guys a informed dissertation and opinion, something special for episode five, a deep dive into uh, talking about Reefer Madness, and maybe it would be really a fun thing to also as they're saying different things about the drug that we know are, are fiction and that were made up or lies, we can counter them with what the actual facts we know now with modern-day science tells us. I think that would be a really fun game. So in 1937, here we are four years later. The 21st Amendment was repealed in 33. 1937, U.S. Congress passes the Marijuana Tax Act, which criminalizes the drug. In response, Dr. William C. Woodard, testifying on behalf of the AMA, told Congress that the America... The American Medical Association knows no evidence that marijuana is a dangerous drug and warned that prohibition loses sight of the fact future investigations may show their substantial medical use for cannabis. Spoiler alert, that was accurate. His comments were ignored by Congress, no surprise. A part of the testimony for Congress to pass the 1937 Act derived from articles in a newspaper owned by William Randolph Hearst, who had significant financial interest in the timber industry, which manufactured his newsprint paper. In 1938, supply of hashish from Chinese Turkestan nearly ceases. The U.S. company DuPont patents the process for creating plastics from coal and oil and a new process for creating paper from wood pulp. As we move on to 1940 here, Greek hashish smoking tradition fades. So that it just it's just something that people stop doing as much, apparently. 1941, cannabis is removed from the U.S. pharmacopoeia and its medical use is no longer recognized in America. Wow, they just... Wiped facts out of history like it didn't happen. So it, from 37 to 41, boom, just like that. The same year, the Indian government considers cultivation in Kashmir to fill a void of hashish from Chinese Turkestan. Hand-rubbed chakras from Nepal or sharkas from Nepal is choicest hashish in India during World War II. 1942, U.S. scientists working on an official strategy, uh, working at the Office of Strategic Service, OSS, the CIA's wartime predecessor, began to develop a chemical stub substance that could break down the psychological defenses of enemy spies and POWs. After testing several compounds, the OSS scientists selected a potent extract of marijuana as the best available truth serum. The cannabis concoction was given the code name TD, meaning truth drug. When injected into food or tobacco cigarettes, TD helped loosen the reserve of 
uh, its reciproc reciproc the people that received it uh, during the interrogation. I don't know why recalitrant interrogation subjects is the word that they chose to use there. The people that were getting the drug put in them. 1945, legal hashish consumption continues in India. Hashish used in Greece flourishes again. So a couple years later in Greece, people starting to use it again. 1951, the Boggs Act and the Narcotics Control Act in the U.S. increased all drug penalties and laid down mandatory sentences. Okay, that's an important thing to talk about too. Mandatory minimum sentencing. You had this drug, you deserve at least this much. I think that's total and utter bullshit. They also used it to do what? Incarcerate the African-American and minority communities in America as a way to control. And it's very, very, very unfortunate. And we know that racism plus cannabis ultimately equaled prohibition in the long-term sense. Because we need to actually go back a little bit uh, well, actually, we're going to be going forward, not back, because the real shift in America is coming, and this is when things started to get, like, dangerous. So the Boggs Act and the Narcotics Control Act in the U.S. increases all drug penalties and laid out a mandatory sentence. Uh, in 1960, Czech researchers confirmed the anti antibiotic and analogistic effects of cannabis. 1936, Turkish police seized 2.5 tons of hashish. In 1965, per first reports of the strain... Afghanica and first reports of the strain cannabis Afghanica and was used for hashish production in northern Afghanistan. 1967 smash, the first hashish oil appears. Red Lebanese reaches California. Uh, 1972, 1970-72, huge fields of cannabis are cultivated for hashish production in Afghanistan. Afghani hashish vari uh, varieties introduced to North America for production. Westerners bring metal sieve cloth to Afghanistan. Law enforcement efforts against hashish begin in Afghanistan. Also in 1970, the U.S. National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, Normal, formed. So the birth of Normal, which is the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. We love Normal. Uh, this same year, the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act is repealed. Uh, mandatory penalties for drug offenses and marijuana was categorized separately from other narcotics. Uh, 1971 is the first and earliest evidence that marijuana may actually help glaucoma patients. Okay, here we go. 1972, the Nixon-appointed Schaefer Commission urged use of cannabis to be re-legalized, but their recognition, their recommendation was ignored. U.S. medical research picks up pace. Proposition 19 in California to legalize marijuana use is rejected by a voter margin of 66 to 33. So 72, it's still technically illegal to have. You obviously had uh, flower power in the late 60s and the early 70s, and the drug is still like kind of like a popular underground thing and still obviously finding its way all over and has never not been accessible in this country. Let's just be absolutely real. Um, so, you know, at that point though, in California, 66, 33. So it's, it's, it's close, but it's not really 50, 50, you know? So it's still, people are still like, it's illegal. We keep, we're not going to use it. So in 1973, Nepal bans the cannabis shops and Shara's hand-rolled hash export. Afghan governments make hashish production and sales illegal. Afghani harvest is pitifully small. 
uh, Nabilone, a cannabinoid-based medication, appears. The U.S. federal government creates the investigation new drug, the IND, Compassionate Use Research Program, to allow patients to receive up to nine pounds of cannabis from the government each year. Today, five surviving patients still receive medical cannabis from the federal government paid for by federal tax dollars. At the same time, the U.S. FDA continues to list marijuana as a Schedule One. Uh, drug meaning a high potential for abuse with no accepted medical value. Bullshit. 1977, though, Carl Sagan proposes that marijuana may have been the world's first agricultural crop, leading to the development of civilization itself. It would be very interesting if, in human history, the cultivation of marijuana led generally to the invention of agriculture and thereby to civilization. Carl Sagan. The Dragons of Eden, Speculation on the Origin of Human Intelligence, page 191. And that's just a footnote, so you know where to find it. Uh, in 1977 through 81, President Carter, including uh, his assistant for drug policy, Dr. Peter Bourne, pushed for decriminalization of marijuana, with the president himself asking Congress to abolish federal criminal penalties for those caught uh, with less than one ounce of marijuana. So in 1980, we're going to get to a point here. I'm gonna, I have a place where I want to cut it off here soon, but I just want to give you guys a little bit of the timeline before we move into our next thing. So in 1980... Morocco becomes one of, if not the largest, hashish production and exporting nation. Border hashish is produced in the northwestern Pakistani along the Afghan border to avoid Soviet-Afghan war. 1985, hashish is still produced by Muslim of Kashgar and Yarkin in northwest China. And in the U.S., the FDA approves dronabinol, a synthetic THC for cancer patients. Okay, and I think that's an interesting thing to think about is that they're like, oh, cancer patients, we can help you out. Certain people will give you the weed, but other people are being incarcerated. And I think that's where there is a real disconnect. Right. So let's talk about it for a minute. What we're getting ready to get into here is the Reagan thing. And this right here is the big chunk of what we're going to talk about today. So in 1986, President Reagan signs the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, reinstating mandatory minimums and raising federal penalties per, for possession and distribution and officially begins the U.S. international, quote-unquote, war on drugs. So let's just, uh, just, you know, in case you don't know anything, let's just pull up some Ronald Reagan marijuana quotes. Okay, I want I want to look up some some quotes that he actually said. Okay, because I think it is important to know that this is what he was saying to the people just after Jimmy Carter, a Democrat, had said we need to decriminalize this completely and it'll help people. Okay. So Ronald Reagan's most notable quote is marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug in America today. Isn't that just utterly disgusting? It just hurts to even say it. But then, you know, uh, there is the whole, uh, let's see, it was in Watergate? Yeah, I think that Watergate, there were, there, you know. Um, so let's, let's pull this up. This is an article from Vox, and I think this will help us to uncover what I'm trying to say. Was Nixon's war on drugs a racially motivated crusade? Well, let's read. 
So the internet exploded with a fairly shocking allegation. Uh, President Nixon began America's War on Drugs to criminalize black people and hippies, according to a newly revealed 1994 quote from Nixon domestic policy advisor John Ehrlichman. The Nixon campaign in 68 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people, Ella Richmond told journalist Dan Baum in 94. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to either be against the war on blacks or against the war or blacks, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. The accusation was shocking, obviously, characterizing the war on drugs as racially, politically motivated crusade. However, uh, according to this Vox article, and let's read into it a little bit, I think it's good to look at both sides of the aisle, uh, but Ehrlichman's claim is likely an oversimplification. According to historians who have studied the period and Nixon's drug policy in particular, there's no doubt Nixon was racist, and historians told me that race could have played one role in Nixon's drug war. But there's also signs that Nixon wasn't solely motivated by politics or race. For one, he personally despised drugs, to the point that it's not no, not surprising he would want to rid them, the world of them. And there's evidence that Ehrlichman felt bitter and betrayed by Nixon after he spent time in prison over the Watergate scandal, so he could have lied. Which I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Seems kind of on par. More importantly, Nixon's drug policy did not focus on the kind of criminalization that Ehrlichman described. Instead, Nixon's drug war was largely a public health crusade, one that would be reshaped into a modern, punitive drug war we know today by later administrations, particularly President Ronald Reagan. Which is who I thought we were actually talking about. I got it backwards. It was Nixon who I I, I meant to say had the, the real uh, agenda. So... We go to continue on to say, none of that means the war on drugs has disproportionately hurt black Americans. It clearly has. But the lesson of Nixon's drug policy may not be so much that he was a racist, power-hungry politician, although, again, he, he was, but rather that he was a well-meaning, that he had even well-meaning policies can have big, terrible, unintended consequences. So... Uh, let's start with what Nixon actually sought to do when he launched his war on drugs. The speech that started the formal war on drugs in 71 did not focus solely on criminalization. Instead, he dedicated much of his time talking up initiatives that would increase prevention and treatment for drug abuse. Enforcement must be coupled with a rational approach to the reclamation of drug user himself. Uh, Nixon told Congress in 71, we must rehabilitate the drug user if we are to eliminate the drug itself and all antisocial activities that flow from drug abuse. The numbers back this up. According to the federal government's budget uh, for anti-drug programs, the demand side of the war on drugs, treatment, education, and prevention consistently got more funding during Nixon's time in office than the supply side, law enforcement, and interdiction. Uh, so, it, And it does actually show federal spending and how those demand reduction, supply reduction, they spent way more on, uh, yeah, it, it, it's... Very factual. Now, historically, it is a commitment for treating drugs as a public health issue that the federal government has not replicated since 70, although President Obama's budget proposal would, for the first time in decades, put a majority of anti-drug spending on the demand once again. So that kind of dates when this article is. looks like 2016, so about four years ago. Drug policy historians say that this was intentional. Nixon poured money into public health initiatives, such as medication-assisted treatments like methadone clinics, 
education campaigns that sought to prevent teens from trying drugs, which didn't work, and more research on drug abuse. In fact, the Controlled Substance Act, the bias for so much of the modern drug policy, actually reduced penalties on marijuana possession in 70 when Nixon was in office. So let's go back to our timeline here. Because like I said, Reagan had you know his own reshot of war on drugs in 86. So what I'm kind of getting at is, in all of this, Nixon, Reagan, you can't, you couldn't tell them apart. Couldn't tell them apart. I mean, I, I can tell them apart clearly, but in the moment I couldn't because I felt like they had both done the same thing, and they kind of did. Uh, however, it does seem Nixon was more motivated to help the public, I guess, even though he definitely was a crook. So you can't really trust anything he says. That's really where I get it. So 1987, Morocco governments cracked down upon cannabis cultivation in lower elevations of the Rift Mountains. And finally, for today, this is where we're going to end the timeline. 88, the U.S. DEA Administrative Law Judge Francis Young finds after thorough hearings that marijuana has a clearly established medical use and should be classified as a prescriptive drug, he rec his recommendation is ignored. So in the late 80s, we could have had change. And here we are, uh, 30, 30 years and change later, and there's still not this change that we seek, right? So that's a little bit more of the timeline, filling you guys in with kind of some of the history, looking at some of these things. You know, we've probably only got one, maybe two more episodes, really, of the timeline that I'm currently reading from to dive into, which is okay. We have other things we're going to do now. Uh, last time we did the timeline, I found a book called The Hashish Eater, and I haven't read it yet, but I did find some quotes from it, and it's a Fitzhugh Ludlow book, The Hashish Eater, being passages from the life of a Pythagorean. Um and it says this here, eight quotes that we're going to read from this book, uh, just to shed a little bit of light on uh, where this guy's mind was after he had tried some hash. So he said, it is the process of symbolization which, in certain hashish states, give every tree and house, every pebble and leaf, every footprint feature and gesture a significance beyond mere matter or form which possesses an inconceivable force of torture or of happiness. Uh, continuing on into another quote, he said, But the stimulus of drugs, of potions, beware, for the sake of that very majesty with which you justify, justly wish to aggrandize your soul, beware. Their fountains will be, present, will be presently exhausted, and then you shall helplessly beat your breast, and without possibility of arising from the brink you draw in their foul their maddening lee, and curse yourself for slaying those noble powers which it was your longing to strengthen, to nourish, and to clarify. A couple more quotes here. Uh, Yet, if there be one voice which can speak from the gateway of a dangerous avenue to its satisfaction, that can say, Ho there, pass by, I have tried this way, it leads to... It leads at last into poisonous wilderness. Is the name of heaven, let it be raised. I don't know what that means. These are all very out of context, I'm realizing. I maybe should have, uh, I had it, like I had it with the intent to read, and I just never happened to get back to it, unfortunately, which it is what it is. But, uh, okay, so we did, talked a little bit about the timeline. We've talked a little bit about the hashish eater. Let's go ahead and talk 
about another stoner in history. Huh? Let's do it, right? Let's talk about... Ooh. Let's talk about Israeli scientist, uh, Dr. Ralph Mecholiam. Mecholam. Mecholam? I don't want to fuck that up. Raphael Mecholam. He is the godfather of THC. Mechelem isolated and identified the compound in 1964 and broke the law in the process. He hiked around 15 miles into the city of Tel Aviv and collected five kilos of smuggled Lebanese hash from a police station. <laughs> While one report suggests he sampled the product on only one occasion, uh, Mechelem himself claims he has never used marijuana. Okay? So... It says, even so, he dedicated his life to studying the herb and has been involved in many of its important discoveries. He tried to gain a grant to study weed in the United States in the 60s, but it was denied. Mechelam has also identified CBD and in 92 discovered the bliss molecule we call anandamide, which I th I'm not sure, anandamide? Anandamide? Anandamide. Okay. His work has helped uncover the endocannabinoid system, which is within your body, which has an enormous effect on the human body. It seems that the cannabinoids in weed work with the endocannabinoid system, which is why marijuana is so useful for medicinal purposes. Our bodies produce cannabinoids naturally, and a deficiency could be responsible for a host of ailments. Maybe marijuana is responsible for filling in these gaps and making us feel better in a variety of different ways. So, Mr. Uh, Ralph Mechelam uh, is still alive to this day. He's 89 years old. Okay, here are some of the accolades this man has. He's a member of the Israeli Academy of Scientists and Humanities, Israeli Prize in Exact Sciences, Chemistry in 2000. He was the honorary doctorate from Ohio State in America here in 2001, honorary member of the Israeli Society of Philological uh, and Pharmacology, that's a tongue twister, Honorary Doctorate from Compulsance University in 2006, an NIDA Discovery Award, an EMET Prize in Exact Science and Chemistry in 2012. He was a recipient of the Rothschild Prize for Chemis Chemical Scientists, and, or chemical sciences and physical sciences, president of the International Cannabinoid Research Society from 99 to 2000, and honoris causa from the University of Guep in 2018. Uh, here's some things that what uh, Wikipedia has a little small article about him. It says, uh, Mechelam's major scientific interest is in the chemistry and, chemistry and pharmacology of cannabinoids. Uh, he and his research group succeeded in the total synthesis of the major plant cannabinoid, uh, tetrahydral cannabinoid, cannabidol, and cannabiodrol and various others. Another research project initiated by him led to an isolation of the first described endocannabinoid, anandamide, which is which was isolated and characterized by two of his postdoctoral researchers. I'm not going to try to read that first guy's name. It looks like Lumir Ondrej Hanas and William Devine. Another endogenous cannabinoid, AG2, which was soon discovered by Shimon Bet-Sabat, one of his PhD students. He published more than 350 scientific articles in his time. So yeah, I think he is, uh, you know, this stoner in history, he's a very, very, very important part 
of the modern history because without the research, without the science, without the doctors to back it up, we would be up Schitt's Creek without a paddle because there would be nobody to actually say, no, no, there are medicinal properties that make this plant helpful. There are reasons to have it every day. You know, it can make you feel nice, or it can help you get out of a bad headspace, or it can help you to be creative, or just depending on what the strain is, depending on what you're doing, you know? So speaking of strains, let's look at another strain on the strain smoke back. We're going to do another, uh, another callback to the Denver trip, another amazing cannabis plant that we tried was called hell's og we're gonna go to leafly and talk about it and see what they have to say hell's og aka hell's angels og biker kush is a hybrid and it's a 22 percent thc and it's cannabinoids terpenes are 50 uh it looks like about 50 percent herbal 30 some odd percent citrus and a little 20 10 percent uh peppery it's mostly a calming cannabis from 229 reviews. Uh, from Leafly itself, it says Hell's OG is an indica-dominant hybrid that is said to contain OG Kush and Blackberry genetics. The strain's origins are poorly documented, but popular myths will tell you Hell's OG was bred by biker ruffians in Southern California. If nothing else, we could assume the strain is named after its fierce psychoactive effects that settle in quickly and heavily, lifting stress from the mind and pain from the body. Hell's OG is a therapeutic strain commonly used to treat inflammation, insomnia, and PTSD. Underneath its dominant earthy flavors hides a subtle citrus, candy-like aroma. This hybrid produces large, heavy buds that flower in eight to nine weeks indoors, while outdoor plants are ready for harvest during the September to October transition. Uh, let's talk about the effects. We did that last time when we did Star Killer, so we're going to do it this time on Hell's OG. Um, feeling of relaxed, 77%. Feeling of euphoric, 47%. Feeling happy, 45%. Sleepy, 38%. And 27% hungry. So it's not really going to give you the munchies. It's going to make you feel relaxed and, and zen and happy. Maybe a little sleepy. As soon as I said sleepy, I almost started yawning. That was the weirdest, like, automatic didn't mean for that to happen. So it helps with stress, 36%. Of course, these are 159 people reporting a bunch of different effects. They put all that data into a thing, and this is what they report back, right? These are people giving their reviews of the thing and what it does. 36% helps with stress, 33% of this helps with pain, 30% anxiety, 27% insomnia, and 24% for depression. Uh, it's very, very, very dry mouth. You're going to have cotton mouth crazily. It's 22%. Your eyes are going to get dry, so if you have really watery eyes, it'll be a good thing. If you already have dry eyes, you're going to have red eyes. It's going to look bad. Get some eye drops. 5% anxious, 3% dizzy, and 3% headaches. We have uh, some people that have given reviews. And I'm going to just go ahead and some, read some full reviews of this actual bud from some other people. Uh, to some, this strain up in Ward Ward is almost impossible, but all I can say is, wow. It's a bit psychedelic for the first 30 minutes or so, but quickly re relieves the pain from a 12-year-old back injury. Pungent is an understatement for its aroma. One big hit from a pipe or bong almost instantly fills 1,200 square foot of space with penetrating stench that I have not smelled like in at least a decade. 30-plus year smoker, this person says. 
Very potent variety that should be top shelf strain for many tokers. No headaches experienced on my end. In about an hour, I feel like taking a nap, which is, for me, a good thing. If you experience chronic pain or PTSD and can handle a bit more psychoactive strain than usual, please try this one. Most likely, you will not be disappointed, although another name for this gift might be more appropriate. Hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, it seems like this guy gave it a five stars, really dug it, so that's cool. I will say that with my experience, you know, we were in the hotel after we'd got back from the first dispensary green man cannabis that I talked about on episode two, I think it was. Uh, and when we were there, you know, we picked up several different strains. So we've, we, we get back and I remember it was, it was, uh, the first night of the NFL season, Thursday night. Bears Packers and we've got the smoke finally and we're going to try it out and see what it's like and I'm watching this shit show of a game because the Bears were awful sorry it's the truth they played terribly last season uh, if you're into that kind of thing and uh, I just remember like let's try the let's try the Hell's OG you know because I think we got like Starkiller Hell's OG actually the receipts right here I can just look I think it's right here anyways, right? Did I leave it? I, where did it go? Oh, come on. Of course, every time I try to look up something on the podcast or do something like, oh, I can just totally spur of the moment it because it's right there. It's magically not right there. Okay, it is right here. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Okay, I don't know where that fucking thing went. I had the receipt, and it's just gone all of a sudden. I don't know. Oh, because it's with the other receipts. Anyways, so we I know we got Starkiller Hells OG, and then we got... Oh, Ghost Train Haze was the last one. We'll talk about that on another smoke back. But for this one, Hells OG, I remember we tried it, and immediately I didn't care about the game. I was relaxed. I was in Denver. It's beautiful outside. Funny story to, to continue on with that. The very next day, so we're there Thursday, and then we were, were there Friday morning, and we're all experiencing something that's like what they call elevation sickness. Like you get, you know, in a higher altitude and your body just goes, oh, what the fuck am I doing? And just messes up, you know. So we all weren't feeling like going out. We was just kind of like we were going to go out. We were going to go do some sightseeing. Decided not to. So we stay in and we're watching movies and ordering food in and just smoking this amazing bud. And I know we smoked. We had a, a nice like little session with the with the uh, Hell OG. And two minutes later, not joking, I hear a siren, and I'm like, "Is that a tornado siren?" And sure enough, on my phone, boop, in the area we were at, which I think was called Centennial, tornado warning. So it was really crazy because we left the Midwest where there are tornadoes and went to. Colorado where I didn't think there were tornadoes apparently there are which is very strange and yeah it was crazy it was we were, I'm all like stoned out of my brains and there's a tornado and I'm just in this hotel like am I gonna die in this hotel what is going on this is madness luckily everything was cool I didn't have madness I had a good time uh Ultimately, we didn't get hit by a tornado. I think we had Cheesecake Factory delivered after that. It was just like, oh, we don't, we don't even want to do anything. We're just gonna hang out and try to be relaxed, and and uh, it was a good time. 
I keep saying it was a good time because it was a good time. I just think back to then, and I'm just like, man, that was such a fun experience that we got to have. So continuing on, let's move it on to the next portion of the show. The next portion of the show is going to be, let's see here. I'm going to look at my little list of things I wanted to do. And then I can tell you what I think we're going to do. Okay. So, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. So I did have some people, I meant to bring this up, but I did have some people who were like, hey, how do you store your stash? Like, what's the best way or what do you use or, you know, what do you like to use? And honestly, I've used a lot of different things. I've used um, a thermos and a Mentos container, and I've used, you know, little tiny Tupperwares, all kinds of things, right? But I think, for me, the most uh, beneficial is a word, the most uh, foolproof is another good word, is the Infinity Jar. If you haven't looked up an Infinity Jar, I do strongly recommend you go onto their website, or go on to Amazon. If you go onto their website, they're gonna like show you their test and 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 it kind of explain like how their process works. So it's an all black jar. It's got a you know a twist top. It's larger. You know you can get them in different sizes, smaller, bigger. You know different um, like a taller glass or a smaller dish or whatever. So the varieties are great. But the thing that's awesome about it is is as long as you have it in the jar keeps your bud fresh and fresher than a lot of stuff um, when it's stored. I know some people who, you know, uh, somebody suggested to me, get an infinity jar. It's great. And I was like, all right, cool. And I did. And then, okay, so backstory. Did a show. And I also do design work. And one of my buddies was like, hey, I have a gift for you for doing all these designs for me over this time. And I was like, oh, cool. I love gifts. Ah, it's great. So we were doing this uh, this show. We go to this show, and my buddy is like, hey, can we go take a walk? I wanted to give you that thing I'm, I got you for doing all those designs. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, sure. I would love to see it, you know. So we go, and we are chatting, and he pulls out of his uh, bag. A humongous vacuum sealed thing. He hands it to me. He's like, that's two ounces. I was like, oh, my Lanta. So that was nice. Um, and that lasted a time. And, you know, surprisingly lasted a lot longer than I expected. But it was it was good, no less. Uh, you know, ultimately, the Infinity Jar, for me, it's the smell-proof thing. You can't, like, you could put the most just absolutely pungent bud in there that just you know that stuff that it's in a bag and a vacuum seal in something and you can still kind of get a hint of it and you're like oh my lord none nothing you could put a, a, a half in there close it up nice and tight not smell a thing and not even know it's there and that in and of itself is worth the price of it which i think was like 20 bucks so, yeah, if you're looking, go on Amazon. You can get deals. You can also go on their website, get deals there as well. So, what else are we going to do today, guys? I'm not even really sure. I feel like 
the way that uh, the quarantine is hitting all of us, it's just become exhausting to think more than day-to-day anymore. And I don't mean that negatively. I just mean like, even if I were to think like, oh, I can plan this to happen, it's probably not going to actually end up happening that way because all the craziness that the universe keeps throwing at us has just uh, hasn't slowed down. So, you know, hopefully, like I said, you're able to sit back, you're able to relax, smoke something good, uh, you know. So here's what we're going to do today, because we are all isolated, wherever you are, if you're available to do this, I would like you to join me in a podcast virtual smoke sesh. Here we go. All right, now I'm going to give you guys a couple seconds real quick here. Get yourself together as we are getting ready to do a virtual session together. And as my voice fills your ear hole, I just want to say again, thank you for tuning in. It's really cool of you to take time out of your day to listen to me ramble about this stuff. I'm still trying to figure this show out. I'm still trying to figure out how to present things to you people without it seeming boring. And hopefully my ramblings are weird and fun and interesting and, you know, I'm just a dude doing my best in this world. So thank you for tuning in. I'm going to say that uh, it is officially time. Here we go. It is our virtual session in three, two, one. Oh, wasn't that lovely? Have a moment together. We're all sharing in it. Maybe you've hit your bong a couple times or, you know, cleaned your chill out really quickly and are packing a second one as you think about what you're going to do with the rest of your day. All I want to do is say this. Always try to be better. I think that that's something I need to work on. I think it's something the rest of the world needs to work on. Always try to get better. Try to do better for the people in your life. Try to do better for the people around you. Even though right now we're in a limited time where we can't be around people very much, do your best. Do your absolute best. Go the extra mile if you can. You know, it'll always be appreciated, even if even if it's not necessarily spoken. You know. So, you know, it's it's it is hard. It is difficult in 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 where we are in this place and time to really conceive what the world's gonna look like on the other side of coronavirus. I hope that uh, things can get back to some form of normal. I hope that we can move into a world where recreational cannabis is legal in all 50 states. I would love to move into a world where I can work in that industry because that is something I would love, love to do. Genuinely. I would love to study it and learn more about it and share more with you guys. Uh, But I think for this episode, that's going to do it of Caniculture. You guys have been absolutely stunning. Thank you again. As always, you can check out Caniculture right here on the Journey into Comics Network. Get us on Apple Music, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, and many others. Just search, you got it, Journey into Comics Network. Get this one feed. It's a community of friends putting shows together and putting things together and being a team from different places. You know, the one thing I really love about our network is we are all different people. We all have different thoughts and drives and goals and dreams and wants and and fears. 
but we all have the cohesion to work together because podcasting, while it can be a hobby, can also become kind of an art form. Doing podcasting can become therapy, a place where you can feel um, your thoughts are just a flow of consciousness. You know, you're just letting yourself become one with the moment because right now I'm not editing any of this out. I'm not going to be like, oh, I was just ramble bambling and I should get rid of it. Like, no, it's authentic. It's who I am. It's me telling you, the listener who's listening to my show, whether you're in your car, you're at home, your kids are screaming, you're trying to do e-learning, you know, you just want five minutes alone to just to just get away from the world, whatever it is, right? Whatever it may be. Just know that we are all in this together. We all can be stronger together, I think. And uh, being real is very important in this time. So I want to thank you guys so much for ta- checking out this week's episode of Caniculture. Tune in as next week is episode five. As I said, Reefer Madness. I'm going to be looking it up, watch the movie, give you a review breakdown. It's kind of an episode that's going to be mostly featuring that, but we'll see. Maybe we'll have special guests. I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Caniculture. I'm Nate. Sit back, relax, spark up that bowl, and have a good one. Later, guys. Later.